Hi, this is Taylor Lewis and Liz Beauvais, and we are here to talk about managing appointments today with a rare or chronic illness and kind of some ways that we're able to cope and, and get things situated in our personal lives and work lives. So Liz, you want to give us some examples of what helps you um, manage your, your appointments and everything that belongs with that? Sure. So for those of you who do not personally have a rare disease or are not related to someone with a rare disease, I think the one thing that many people don't seem to understand as I'm trying to manage my life is the amount of different appointments you might have in a given month. Um, the rare disease that Taylor and I both have affects multiple parts of our body and multiple um, systems within our body. And a lot of times that also means that we have different specialists and they're not all within the same health system or in the same location. So I think for me, the struggle is trying to figure out how to fit all these appointments within a calendar month, but then not have it impact my work or my school, which both happen during the normal time that hospitals have outpatient appointments. So the one thing that I've tried to do and it's difficult because we don't always have a lot of control around when they're scheduled. But I try to move the appointments to either at the beginning of the day or the end of the day. So I can still get about 75% of a workday in um, with the idea that maybe I can make up those hours another part of the day. But what I have found is that doesn't always work. And so what I try to do is try to figure out how to utilize my time while I'm at appointments. So that way, maybe I travel during lunchtime. And then I work for three or four hours in the cafeteria doing doing either work or schoolwork or something that's actually productive for one of those two activities, just so it doesn't feel like I have to take off so much time and so much PTO from work. I don't know, Taylor, what what have you seen that seems to try to help help you as you're managing your life around your appointments? Yeah, so for my doctor's appointments, my Hemonk doctor is located in Cincinnati. So it's about four hours each way from where I live. And so it's a pretty decent length of a drive. One that definitely I've round tripped it in a day and it's definitely felt like too much after getting to the doctors and being there for a few hours for the appointment. So something that's been beneficial for me is trying to schedule them where I will drive the night before stay in a hotel right by the hospital and then get the appointment in the morning and get back by um, driving on the road by the afternoon. So that's been challenging with PTO at work. You know, we're trying to balance everything in life and always having like a bank of PTO to rely on has been important for me. One that we don't always know when appointments are going to come up. We can plan for them as best we can, but sometimes things become urgent. I do have like a primary care physician nearby that can cover the in-betweens of my appointments at times, but I think it's really hard to just go to a normal doctor for what we have, even if there's like an infection that sometimes they are a little turned off by us. I think they get a little nervous sometimes. So I've really worked, like Liz says, to get a few specialists on board. Um, I go to the dentist regularly because some of my infusions I have interact with my teeth and my jawbone. So that's been helpful in monitoring that and just kind of like 
looking at different outside resources and positions to kind of help complete the circle of healthcare has been important for me. I think also when it comes to going to appointments, asking for somebody to go with you is a huge help for me, especially with such a long drive and I can't drive after my infusions. So asking for help has been has been a big resource for me in managing everything better. What I also find is I actually have, and it's just a spiral bound notebook. So it's just a, a college rule notebook, but I use it for a lot of my medical stuff. Um, I use it to write down my questions in between appointments. Um, what I've found is if I don't have written down in my head around where I have concerns or questions, sometimes I'm either overwhelmed or just there's a lot happening at each appointment I go to that I actually miss the questions that are most important for me. So I, I joke with my doctors that I actually bring agendas to my doctor's appointments because I have, these are the most important questions. We need to cover these first. These are the symptoms I have. How do we address those? And then these are like the nice to have questions. And then anything you want to talk about. Um, and I know it does feel like I'm really controlling the conversation, but I've also learned for my personal sanity, if I don't, get those questions that I've thought were the most important questions over the last month answered, I'm going to have another month about stressing about them. So I, I think it's really important to be able to go in either written down or on your phone or in your head exactly what you need to get out of an appointment, because I think it helps steer the appointment and something that'll help keep you um, a little bit more sane as you're managing your, your mental health and your appointments. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I bring a little notebook with me. I try and keep it kind of out like during the months leading up to my appointments to try and like if something comes to mind just jotting it down right away because I think even leading up to an appointment my nerves are high I'm feeling anxious sometimes I become a little bit forgetful about exactly what I need to talk about so kind of prepping for that is a huge help like you said along with documenting all of my medications and what dosage everything is on. That way, when the nurse asks me directly, I have all of that ready for her without hesitation and question. And that's been something I do feel the clinic is also very thankful for that I have all of that ready because it not only helps me, but it helps them too. And going along with the medications, I know a lot of medical systems, mine included, do use a common common care chart and electronic record of record of my medications. But what I have found is if you do go to a couple different systems, there are extra steps they need to do to pull that medication over into their system. And I've also found that Wi-Fi is not always the strongest when you're in an exam room. So I've, rather than have them written down in the notebook, I do tend to take like a screenshot from my electronic charts on my phone into the pictures um, just before I walk into an appointment. So that way I don't have to like write it down throughout the month, but I also know that I'm able to access it, especially if service is not very good in an appointment. Definitely had that happen before for sure. I think another helpful thing is when it comes to scheduling your appointments, don't be shy about scheduling them out a few months because you can always cancel them in time. And it's something even the hospital has been totally fine with me too. Like if something comes up urgent at work that I have to stay for, that's that. But scheduling them out allows us also to schedule around them and to make sure that we're making our health a priority and in kind of 
focusing on those days when we have our appointments and following up with that so that we can control our health. I've also found just being really open and honest with your um, scheduling teams around what works with your schedule helps. Um, I'm fortunate to have a doctor that understands that I try to do later appointments and will work around the different weeks to find times that seem to allow for that. But if I wouldn't have spoken up or advocated for myself in that, I probably would be just getting like the next available appointment. So although I was anxious to be able to express my concerns about not really appreciating a 2 p.m. appointment in the afternoon, um, it has definitely helped as we're trying to figure out scheduling and scheduling out throughout the year as to where what areas actually do have the 4 p.m. appointment or the 5 p.m. appointment or in the rare case, the 6 p.m. appointment. But those have really made a big impact on how I'm able to manage my work schedule because of those later appointments. Yeah. And I know for a lot of our community too, I understand with rare disease becomes difficulty getting access to care. Something Liz and I have felt passionately about and and feels a real issue is we have a lot of people in our community and other countries that simply can't get the care that we can. And that's a huge problem and something that needs to change. But I think the more that we connect with others in the community, our hope is that we can start to get better managed care for their appointments as well. Because I know for some of them, it's months and months of waiting. And that's, it's horrible. Yes. And I know Taylor and I have both experienced what it's like to have to wait several months for appointments um, and the fears and the anxiety that go through you as that's happening or if you are not feeling very well and your disease is flaring, even just the sickness that comes along with that. Um, And we're both big advocates of trying to help other patients in our disease community um, find access to doctors in their locations. I know that we've worked with a couple of different support groups to try to help help push for that. Um, it, it is very discouraging, though, because for rare disease, you do need certain specialists. And there's only so many of them in the country and in the world that treat what we have. And so it is very hard when we are talking to patients to know that it's very difficult for them to get access to those doctors. Yeah. When I was originally living in California and would fly to Cincinnati for my appointments because that's where the specialist was, I found that communicating with your doctor's nurse too can greatly help with managing your care, whether that's just touching in, letting you, the nurse know how you're doing so that come leading up to your appointment, your doctor is very aware of what's been going on. That's been something really beneficial for me. So it's not like, okay, three months later, okay, we're here again. And, you know, we're telling you everything for the first time. And then we're taking this hour to try and figure out what the next game plan is versus talking and communicating well ahead of time kind of gives the game plan motion so that when you come to the appointment, you have a plan. I also think it's really important to understand the right communication to connect with your team. I have some specialists that really appreciate the messages via um, my doctors. I'll use my chart. So using the the in-app messaging for that. But then I also have um, a couple nurses that have said, just feel free to email me. If it's a quick question, a quick one-off thing, if something's troubling you, email me directly and we can triage it that way. Um, because that way I know that I'm getting the information I need right from you, but 
but I'm also able to just forward that to the doctor if they need it or quickly call you as opposed to going through a couple different voice answering machine systems. So I think it's really important to understand their preferred method of communication, but also understand at what points would you use a more escalated of going directly to the doctor or calling someone's cell phone or where where the changes in communication patterns may lie to get the information you need. Definitely. When it comes to school, work, we've talked about these topics before, but when it comes to the management of appointments, I would just say be as open as you feel comfortable. You don't have to share your diagnosis. You don't have to share all of the details. A lot of it's really personal and there's not always a lot that's sacred to us living with a rare disease. Everybody knows everything about our bodies and that's just the truth. And I think when it comes to work in school though, like we talked about before, make sure to advocate for your appointment times. They'll be receptive, they'll understand. And if they're not, there's a bigger issue there, but we need to set aside time and manage this or else we just don't function at work or school. We are not where we need to be if we're not feeling good. And as someone who I serve as a manager to people, um, I've been on the other side of these conversations as well. But I think that, the, that I've been able to understand both perspectives in my conversations, which have made them go easier. So I, I've learned that it's not necessarily the symptoms and the diagnosis that your manager needs to hear. It's more around the what time do you need? How does that impact what you're working on? How will that impact your future this week or this month? But also what can we do to help ease some of those pains? And that's really the conversation that like your manager really needs to understand. Um, now, if you have a really great manager who wants to empathize with you, maybe you share a little bit more. Um, but I think being able to understand the HR perspective and also the manager perspective has really helped make my conversations with my team um, a lot easier and a lot less stressful on my end. Definitely. Just thinking back to college, I remember I took my laptop with me. And as we know, grad school and college in general, so many papers, so many papers. <laughs> I do not want to go back to that time with how much writing that was. But what was convenient was you never want to write those in your free time. So bring them to the doctor's. I wrote so many papers in the infusion chair. I would just say, you know, put my IV higher on my arm so it doesn't interfere with typing. Like working around ways to kind of get stuff done while you're also multitasking. Because like we know, sometimes we can wait a long time at the doctor's for the doctor to be there. Uh, they are so busy and we understand why. But trying to take that time to our advantage instead of feeling like, oh my gosh, like I'm here for two hours. I'm wasting all this time. You can start to think of it as I have two hours to write this paper I've been putting off or, you know, plan for whatever it is with the kids that you're taking care of and just try to find ways to reduce some of that stress. Agreed. I also find um, for those of you that are in school, what, whatever level it is, is it's a great time to be using your textbook and read out of your textbook. Um, although I have written a lot of papers sitting at the hospital, um, I find it more useful to use that time to like take notes from my reading and like really organize 
what I need for papers as opposed to doing the actual writing. So that way, when I go to do the writing, I can easily just hash it out and get it completed. But all that research I've done while I'm sitting literally in the doctor's office waiting for the doctor to come in. Um, I feel like half the time I'm quickly hiding my laptop and my textbooks as she's walking in the door. But I also think that I can't possibly be the only one who does the exact same thing. Yeah, I think we just both told each other we do the exact same thing. (laughs) But obviously, I think that's something that is a strength of the rare disease community is that we just adapt to whatever situation we have to deal with and we get stuff done. And I'm thinking to when I was younger going to appointments before being in, in college and now after, I guess I can use some of this for after too, but I'll just bring a book. I'll bring, my husband brings his Nintendo Switch because I'm like, you need to pack for a day because we're going to be sitting. So whether you want a blanket, your Switch, like activities to do because it gets boring, but there's ways to make it more enjoyable. We'll bring like playing cards and um, just snacks. We bring snacks for sure. (laughs) And whatever kind of makes the time go faster. I know in one of our other episodes, you talked about um, your hospital bag, but I love that you also make your husband have his own hospital bag too. For sure. It was funny. The first appointment he went with me, like the infusion, because those are the longer ones. I don't think he expected to be there so long. And I wouldn't either. Like if you don't know, you don't know. And so I could see like he's being a good trooper, but man, did he look bored. (laughs) We were watching the TV in there, but I could just tell I was like, next time I'm going to tell him he needs to pack. So now he like brings a backpack full of stuff and he comes prepared, but it's made a big difference in kind of how we approach these appointments. I also think from your mental health perspective, it's good to have something not related to your health to be doing when you're in a hospital setting. Um, Both Taylor and I see um, hematologists, oncologists, whether it's pediatric or adult or a mixture of the two. um, And a lot of times it's really hard to sit in those waiting rooms around um, a lot of what's going on in those facilities. And so I try to find ways to try to like reduce my anxiety, but also to keep keep me calm when I'm around other patients as well. And I think it's I think it's good to be able to have something that's completely unrelated to your health to be able to do that with. I think too, with what you're saying about that, it's something that I had to learn to do. I remember when I first started going to those appointments, I'm sitting in a room and I was one of those people, but a room of people that don't look like they're feeling good. Um, Something that was upsetting to me is, you know, often you're surrounded by people who have lost their hair. I've lost my hair. I know that feeling. And it's just really challenging to be in that room. I think that's something that we probably don't talk a lot about. And it may even be a part of acceptance. And it may even be the part that we're adults in a pediatric hospital and I feel for these kids. Like it's, it's upsetting. It really is upsetting. And it, I know something that Taylor and I have talked about in our own personal conversations is as a rare disease patient, it's hard to even know where you fit in sometimes. Um, There are certain specialists that treat what we have, but there are in practices that treat other things. Um, And we're not always 
the ideal patient for those practices. We're we're one of only a few patients that might come in in a given week related to our disease. And so it is hard to figure out as you're waiting in these waiting rooms where you fit in within the process. And I think that that's something that I struggle with when I go to the doctor's office. Do you feel comfortable sharing with them your experience of just, I feel like the rare disease community would just feel this on so many levels as I have about that that security guard. Sure. And I, I, some of my friends have told me I probably should keep a journal because looking back, the stories are kind of comical um, in the moment, not quite so much. Um, but as we've said, we, we go to children's hospitals and um, I needed to have a full body MRI. And so for those of you who have unfortunately gone through those long MRIs, they usually get scheduled later in the day because they take up like four or five hours. They're, they're long procedures. And so when I arrived at the children's hospital, um, this was probably like a month and a half ago. It was very recent. Um, I've been to this children's hospital many times. I've established patients. Um, I was stopped at the front desk where you check in because when you go to a children's hospital, you have to prove why you are at the hospital um, before you can go further in. And typically they can look up my, my account and they can see that it, yes, I say who I am, my picture's on the account, they know who I am. But the security guard didn't seem to really want to go that far. Um, he took one look at me and asked where my child was, which for those of you in the rare disease community, um, being asked that question can be a big trigger of where your child is. Um, so I was sort of offended um, that I was asked that question, but I explained, well, I, I'm actually the patient, um, the, the appointment's for me. He took one look at me and he asked, you do know that you are at a children's hospital, don't you? And I really wish I had a good comeback of, well, maybe that's why the walls are colorful. Like, I, I really wanted to, like, joke about it, but I also realized it took about a month to get an appointment to get this MRI. And if the security guard is the reason why I can't get my appointment, that also means I probably have another month waiting until I have another appointment where I might see him again. So I, I was very adamant that he looked at my, my account and he eventually did after about four or five minutes of asking me additional questions. And I was supposed to be there. I had an appointment. He gave me my ID badge and left me go on my way. But it is hard when... Um, you do struggle to get the appointments to begin with. And then you don't fit the patient profile of what they expect you to be when you walk in for your appointment. And that's something that is very difficult as a patient to live with. Now I can, I can laugh at the fact that I had to have this conversation with him, but it also did not make the appointment go out to a great start and totally stressed me out for something that I probably wanted to just sleep through anyways. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. I think that's part of managing care is in appointments for us. There aren't adult doctors that see us yet. There's really no adult care. Yes, I have a PCP. Yes, I have this specialist and this specialist. But when it comes to our disease, it is only pediatric right now. I would be super interested in hearing from the community as well if anyone wants to send us a DM on Instagram at the not so rare podcast, or just reach out to us in any way, I would be so curious to know like what your 
care is like too as adults. Um, and if you need pediatric services as well, because it's something Liz and I, although we love a pediatric hospital, there's lots of fun stuff to do there. We do feel really out of place. Absolutely. And I think that's also hard is for me, my disease is treated at a pediatric hospital, um, but all of my other specialists are at the adult hospital. So it's interesting to see how the two systems work together or how doctors interact um, because it does tend to have a, here's your new patient appointment. Oh, wait, you have something we've never heard of before. Glad that you waited three months to come see us, but we're probably going to have to wait another three months to figure out what this means. So it would be really great if there was a way to help make some of the connections across medical systems work even better. That's something I've noticed. I've had to really let the doctor know ahead of time too. Like I have this thing. Can you please consult with my doctor ahead of time? I have found if I don't do that and I show up to a new patient appointment and there's not a release and they haven't talked to my, my like main doctor that they seem just fascinated with what I have and less curious about like, what am I here for? (laughs) Well, and it's, you get the doctors that are really fascinated and get super excited that like, it's something they don't know about and they're going to learn about. And then you also, I don't know if you've noticed this too, Taylor, but I get like the looks of fear sometimes. So, um, I had an appointment recently and um, it was a new patient appointment and the fellow started the appointment um, by himself and he did a wonderful job, but I could just see as the conversation was going on that his like filter of his emotions was dwindling as the conversation went. And I'm pretty sure he had look of pure fear when he left the room. Feel that on so many levels because just recently, I think I had told you this before, but I was at the urgent care. And the first lady was like talking to me and she asked me my disease and then in the medications I was on, she goes, oh, wait, 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 I'll be right back and brings in another doctor. She goes, listen to what she has to say. This is so interesting. And I'm sitting there like you're going to a place to ask for help, right? I'm not feeling good. I need antibiotics and I'm, you know, trying to like tell them what's going on. You're not here to treat my disease. We're here to treat, you know, my, my infection I have. So what's going on? It's, it's funny. It really is. I've gotten that. That's so interesting. I've also gotten the, well, this will be a good learning opportunity moment. And I'm just like, please don't ever say that to a patient ever again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Like we'll go, and I, I think there's another part of it too. Our next podcast, we're going to talk about research and why it's that's important, and also getting um, physicians on board with learning more about our diseases. But when it comes to us receiving care, we just don't particularly like being interesting or good for training. I think sometimes we're just wanting to get in there and get out of there, and that's kind of how I feel. Absolutely. Well, I want to let everyone know that we really appreciated you listening to us today. As Taylor did drop in the middle of that, we do have an Instagram account. Um, So look for us. It's the Not So Rare podcast at Instagram. Um, Thank you so much for listening. We've been really excited to see how broad this podcast has grown over the past couple of weeks. And we're really excited to see where this takes us over the next few months. Um, 
So thanks again for listening. And I hope you all have a wonderful day. And this has been the Not So Rare Podcast.